Recovery Elevator, episode 62. Seeing people that looked normal and were talking stories that I was living and worse. And they were happy. I was like, well, something might be going on here. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator podcast. My name is Paul. Thank you so much for joining us. According to the Recovery Elevator sobriety tracker on my phone, I have been sober for one year, seven months, and two weeks. On today's podcast, I've got two interviewees. I've got Sean Stevenson from the Model Health Show. And after Sean, I've got Robert. He's 39 years old, lives in Washington, and he's been sober for three years and four months. But before we go any further, let's hear from our sponsor, Cafe RE. Before I got sober, I felt alone. It felt like I was the only one in the whole world who found it extremely difficult to stop drinking once I had started. With Cafe RE, I now know I'm not alone. In fact, there are so many people all around this world just like me. In Cafe RE for $10 a month, I get access to a private, unsearchable Facebook group where I can connect with other like-minded individuals, meet with them face-to-face in several weekly live webinars and meetings, I can get paired with an accountability partner who has a similar sobriety date as mine, I can attend in-person meetups and attend exclusive sober trips to places like Costa Rica. If there's one thing I've learned in sobriety, it's that I can't do this alone. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use the promo code ELEVATOR for your first month free. Again, use the promo code ELEVATOR when signing up for your first month free. Sean from the Model Health Show podcast is not an alcoholic, but the reason I have him on my podcast is because his podcast, The Model Health Show, is one of my favorite podcasts. I've learned so many helpful tips and tricks about diet, exercise, and even sleep. This guy's nutrition guru, he knows his stuff. I am a firm advocate and believer from firsthand experience that proper nutrition, diet, exercise, and sleep is imperative to getting sober and staying sober. So instead of me going to Dr. Google and finding out all about this on myself, I decided to reach out and throw a Hail Mary pass out there and ask Sean to come on my podcast. And it worked. And don't worry about finding a piece of paper and scribbling all this information down. You can find it on the website. Go to recoveryelevator.com. Find the podcast episode 62, and in the show notes, there will be links to a lot of the vitamins, the supplements, and the things that he talks about in the interview. Now, we all know getting sober is hard. Getting sober when you're putting junk in your system and your mind is foggy due to your diet makes it even harder. So now let's hear from Sean. Recovery Elevator, I have got Sean from the Model Health Show podcast, and Sean Stevenson is a best-selling author and creator of the Model Health Show, featured as the number one health podcast in the country on iTunes. A graduate of the University of Missouri, St. Louis, Sean studied business, biology, and kinesiology and went on to be the founder of Advanced Integrative Health Alliance, a company that provides wellness services for individuals and organizations worldwide. I'm not done yet, Recovery Elevator. These credentials go on and on. Sean has been featured in Entrepreneur Magazine, Men's Health Magazine, ESPN, Fox News, and many other media outlets. He is also a frequent keynote speaker for numerous organizations, universities, and conferences with all the outstanding reviews you would imagine from a guy like Sean. Sean, how are you today? I'm doing great, Paul. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, thank you for joining me. So I've got the Recovery Elevator podcast, and I often get asked, what about exercise and nutrition and sleep? We'll get to that in a second, because getting sober, that is a task Really, to this day, I have not encountered a more difficult task challenge than getting sober. And Sean, I've been sober for one year and almost 10 months. And let me tell you, it's hard, but it can be aided. It doesn't have to be so hard if you're eating right, if you're exercising right and getting to sleep right. Do you agree with that? 
Absolutely. And I know so many different stories of people who've been able to really turn their life and their health around, breaking free from the, the addiction of alcohol and understanding really that is the most powerful legal drug that there is for sure. And uh, one of the people coming to mind is my friend Rich Roll, who has a wonderful podcast as well. And just seeing what he's done, he's actually went from just really, really uh, down down in his luck with alcoholism and uh, and then going to being a, a ultra marathon runner, you know, and running like absurd races and, and uh, Ironman competitions or whatever he's doing. I don't even know, man. I just know he runs really, really far. And, you know, there's stories like that, but then there's also stories that I've seen as well. And this has impacted me greatly. And uh, I don't often get to share this, but my my own father, my stepfather, who, you know, I thought he was my father until I was maybe about 12 years old, and seeing him really succumb to the effects of alcohol. And man, it was it was tough to watch, you know, growing up. But ultimately, I didn't know then what I know now and to possibly be able to help. And he actually ended up in a home, you know, in uh, his late 40s because of basically uh, overdosing and breaking down and beginning to have seizures and all these kind of things. And he had to be constantly monitored. And it's a very intimate story for me. And it's been something that I've, I've focused on a little bit in my practice over the years, especially in those intimate cases. And I've been responsible for, I don't even know, I mean, countless people being able to turn it around as far as addictions to alcohol and and smoking as well, you know, it's so funny, these stories that I don't really realize when I talk to the person until years later when they found out, oh, they actually stopped smoking in that one conversation, you know? So I'm, I'm sure you talk a lot about that on the show of how to make those triggers happen for, for transformation. But the bottom line is you can make the process a lot easier by optimizing your nutrition, your uh, movement slash exercise and your sleep as well. So that's what we're here to talk about. Absolutely. And Sean, thank you for sharing that story about your stepfather when you were 12 years old. What I've learned is alcoholism, addiction, it's a communal disease. If you yourself are not an alcoholic, you're lying to me if you haven't been affected by it. And I, I, I hear that so many times. So thank you for sharing that with us. And let's get the rubber to the road because I, I am on board with the nutrition and the exercise and the sleep. But And I knew this from the start. So let me just give you a, a rundown of your episode 33, 10 reasons that your body become resistant to weight loss. I'm in Las Vegas at the podcast convention. I've been sober probably six months. I'm thinking I know everything. And while I'm on that treadmill, no joke, Sean, I'm breaking like seven out of your 10 reasons. I'm like 40 minutes in running six miles per hour straight. You're like big no-no. I've got a sugary drink in one cup holder. I've got a burrito on the left. I've like been, you know, eating too few calories that day. And so let's, uh, let's just clarify some of this stuff and, and kind of just get like a simple how to, or just kind of like the basics. Cause you know, I've looked into it. I've seen words like hemp force protein, multivitamin, fish oil, maca, flaxseed oil, coconut oil, rhodiola, spirulina, fermented kale, acai, aquatic greens. Like this is a complex world, just as complex as alcoholism. Am I right? <laughs> yes, definitely, man. And you know, the first thing to really pay attention to is that, so what's going on in the body after drinking, you know, so, so much for so long, one of the biggest organs, and we all know this, uh, just even popular in popular culture, responsible for trying to deal with this is your liver. And your liver is responsible for something called drug metabolism and also uh, the metabolism of alcohol, and it really takes a beating. But the crazy thing is your liver, even the name, liver, mm -hmm. live, 
liver. It's really responsible for keeping you alive. And it's often referred to as a second brain. And it's responsible for so many different processes, but the big one is detoxification. And your liver is also the most resilient organ that you have. You can literally have part of your liver chopped off and it will regenerate itself. Wow. You know, it's like a little bit of a of a gecko kind of thing going on in your body. So this liver tissue is really, really important. But we don't want to cut our liver off. We want to help to, to support it. And that's why we know about uh, liver disease tied to alcoholism as well. So what we want to do is focus on regenerating and supporting your liver function right off the bat. The number one thing to do is to avoid things that put uh, put even more damage or a strain on your liver function. So that's going to include foods that have a lot of uh, additives and preservatives and toxins that we often don't think about and also processed foods, you know, processed sugar, things like that. Okay. So what you had going on there was a perfect combination of more stress for your liver to deal with. And it's going to just make you feel worse. It's going to make you have a harder time of transitioning to a life of sobriety. And so here's the thing. What we want to do is simply with that, avoid things that we can't recognize where it came from. You know, so you can't really tell well, let's, let's talk about the stuff that we can eat. I'm not, I'm not the guy that says, I don't like to tell people don't eat stuff. So sure. focus on eating real food that you can recognize where it comes, came from. So a good steak is on the table, wild-caught fish, burgers. You know, you can have that kind of stuff. But you might want to skip on the bun, you know. Okay. So you can have yourself a big quarter-pound burger from a grass-fed cow with all the fixings, you know, maybe even some cheese, but, you know, the veggies, you know, your condiments, that kind of stuff. And on the side, maybe some sweet potato fries, you know, freshly cut. Mm -hmm. So those, you can recognize where it came from. It's just those are uh, sliced right off of a potato. And then plenty of green vegetables. And why what we're really looking for here in a big part of buffering the, the years of abuse to our body, it's really, really important, especially for people who have a history of being an alcoholic, to make sure that we're getting certain nutrients in that you're going to find in those green veggies. Number one is magnesium. That might, be the, that might be the most important nutrient that you need to look for when you're transitioning to a life of much more health and vitality because magnesium is an anti-stress mineral and your body's been under very, very toxic and, and strenuous conditions for a long time. And magnesium is responsible for over 300 biochemical processes that your body needs to do. Wow. So what that means is when you're deficient in magnesium, which you are if you've been an alcoholic, your body can't do 300 processes that it needs to do. 300 different things can't function. And so by getting your magnesium levels back up, that's going to help for your body to kind of start to kick on and process energy. And so anything green is going to be a nice source of magnesium. Then there's foods like uh, you mentioned earlier, uh, hemp. So hemp is a great source of magnesium. You know, people know about like the little hemp seeds that are all over the place now and hemp shakes and things like that. Yeah. And, and let me clarify one thing. And I, I don't want to niche down to the first 72 hours of sobriety. And that's what I think you're getting at here, right? Yes. Yes. Okay, perfect. Got, and so listeners get, know, like once you get sober, these are tips and tricks you can hear to just really kickstart your recovery. Yes, you got it. So you got to get your magnesium levels up. Uh, through food first, also supplementation would be okay, but you've got to be careful with the oral supplementation because if you take even a little bit too much, it pulls more moisture to your bowels, more water to your bowels, so it can cause diarrhea, a.k.a. disaster pants, and you don't want that to happen <laughs> when you're out trying to get your life together. 
So that's that's the big one is magnesium. Uh, spirulina is another great source of magnesium, and that's this. It's a it's kind of a strange food for some people to hear about because it's an algae, but it's the highest source of protein of any food in the world by weight. It's seventy one percent protein by weight. Wow! And it's been consumed for thousands of years, and it's also rich in uh, B vitamins, which is another critical thing for uh, that seventy two hour process. You've got to get your B vitamins B vitamin levels back up and these are also buffers against stress. And actually, um, a, one of the issues that we deal with when coming out of that is depression. Yep. And there was a study, it was published in the British Journal of Psychiatry, and they found that uh, the patients who were given the B vitamin 2, particularly, so that's the riboflavin, they were able to actually help them to uh, buffer and effectively treat their depression just with that one part of the family of B vitamins. So B B vitamin 2, so vitamin B2, I'm sorry. I've done a lot of interviews today, man. No, but, you're good. Uh, you're good. This is this is like solid gold. <laughs> I'm I'm right and my pen's going fast, Sean. All good, man. All good. So uh vitamin B2, aka rib riboflavin, which I was trying to remember the name riboflavin because B3, I get those mixed up. B3 is niacin. And that's another really important one because that helps your uh capillaries to to basically dilate and to move that blood through your system, aka uh, getting nutrition to your cells and eliminating the waste compounds that are going to be coming from your body trying to break down all of those metabolic waste products. So B2 is found to be an effective treatment, proven, clinically proven to be effective treatment for depression. B3 helps with that circulation. Uh, B6 is another one which is going to be uh, helping to fortify your neurotransmitters. B12 is obviously important for energy. So all of them, and then, you know, there's B1 and, and B6 as well. So just you want to make sure you're getting a complex of B vitamins. So food first, so foods that are rich in those, which I've already mentioned a few, but I'd also do some supplementation as well. And my favorite form of supplementation is whole food-based supplements. So they're not just isolated chemical compounds, but they're actually derived from food. Uh, so a multivitamin that's, you know, quote, maybe a raw vitamin code kind of thing. And I'd add in, and I think this is essential. As a matter of fact, I don't think this is something that I def. It's I absolutely know this. It's essential that you get on a, a kind of green superfood blend. Okay. And why this is important is that it's not processed like those vitamins are that have to be essentially made in a laboratory. Even the good ones. Um, this is more of like a, especially a dried or freeze dried green powder blend. So this would be something like Organifi. Okay, you it's called Green out. Superfood Blend and Organifi makes it? Yeah, no, Organifi is a green superfood blend. Okay. So it has like the wheatgrass powder and the, uh, the, okay. the the kale powder. That kind of stuff is already in there. And it tastes good. So you just throw it in some water or into a shake and it actually tastes really good. So that's one. There's uh, Vitamin or Green is another one. doesn't taste as good though. There's so many different out there, but I would do... For sure, 120%, get yourself a green superfood blend and have, you know, a couple of scoops of those a day, you know, separate times. That's going to help a lot as well. And there's many other components we could talk about, but I'll just pass the mic to you. Oh, this could be a four-hour interview, and I know that for sure. And I got two more questions. Number one, we'll touch up on exercise, and next up, we'll go to sleep. Just real quick questions here. With the exercise, not so much for the vanity. I've seen your bio shots and that chiseled six-pack there, but more the benefits for the mind, for the dome to stop our thinking. Because 
when we stop drinking, our mind is crazy. And in fact, the term batshit crazy, we can't stop our thoughts. Just tell us the benefits in early recovery that exercise can do to our domes, our brains. Absolutely. The first thing is, and a lot of people have heard this, but this is where it's more important than ever, is the release of endorphins. And so these are these feel-good compounds that, you know, this is when people get a, quote, runner's high, uh, but you actually get that just from a couple of minutes of exercise, you'll start to get a nice uh, secretion of endorphins. Uh, so even going for a nice kind of power walk or, you know, doing some body weight exercises, doing, I've got this uh, rebounder or so mini trampoline, which NASA has come out and said that it's the most effective form of exercise for I've humans. i heard you talk about that. Yep. And it's also great for detoxification. And that's what the root of the word exercise is derived from exorcism, which is a mode of elimination and detoxification, really. And we're working to get metabolic waste out of our system. So that movement is critical. So you don't want to just sit around and watch TV. You want to get up and move your body. Or if you are going to watch TV, grab that mini trampoline and jump on that bad boy while you watch. And start rebounding. But, yeah. Yes. I would start off, though, if you haven't exercised for a while. If you are consistent with exercise, maybe I'd say 10 to 20 minutes on the rebounder is okay. But if you're just getting started with the rebounder because it's such a mover of your lymphatic system, which is your extracellular waste management system, I would say no more than 10 minutes. So maybe five to 10 minutes the first time because it can really stir up the, the, the muck in your system. All right, so that would be a great form of exercise as well. Uh, another really important factor with exercise is a shift in your hormonal pattern, your hormonal rhythms, essentially. And so you're going to get a boost in your testosterone, which is going to make you feel better. And you're going to get a short-term increase in cortisol, but uh, within a you know within the day, shortly thereafter, you're gonna get a nice drop in your cortisol level, so you're gonna feel less stressed. All right, so there's so many different pieces. Again, we could talk about here, and I just named some of them from the endorphins, the testosterone boost, reduced cortisol. You've got to make this a part of your plan. If you're only just getting up and throwing on a show like this one into your headphones, go for a 20 minute walk, and get some sunlight. You know, all those things are gonna feed a much easier and more graceful transition into a life of health and happiness. Sean, I love it. And let's talk about sleep real quick. Your episodes four, five, and six, you've got over 120 minutes on sleep tips and tricks. However, give us like two to three, just very essential tips and tricks because you know sleep in the first 72 hours, it's basically just, it's not happening. I'm okay with that. But how do we get days four, five, six, and moving forward, how do we really get that sleep going and get it kickstarted right? Got it. Well, this really relates to what we've already covered. You know, you can radically improve your sleep quality and even, you know, within that first 72 hours, improve the sleep that you do get uh, by optimizing some of these strategies I'm going to share with you. And so one of the big issues with your body processing alcohol is there's an interruption in your REM sleep, which is your rapid eye movement sleep. And there's something called a REM rebound effect that happens uh, due to consumption of alcohol. And so to get that back online a little bit quicker, what you want to do, number one, is get some exercise in in the early part of the morning. And this is an airy-fairy talk. There was a study done by Appalachian State University, and they had exercise to train at three different times. And they found that when people worked out in the morning versus the afternoon and in the evening, they spend up to 75% more time in the deepest, most rejuvenative, anabolic stages wow. of sleep. They slept longer, which is another thing that we want, and their sleep cycles were more efficient. So basically, we're talking about cycling in and out of REM sleep properly. And this is by getting a simple you know, 10-minute exercise in 
in the early part of the day. So within the first 90 minutes of you waking up, uh, first 60 minutes to 90 minutes. Uh, so that's one of the most important, simple, low-hanging fruit things that you could do. Uh, another thing would be to make sure that you're sleeping in a cooler environment because your body is naturally going to start to kick on and try to push out toxins through your skin. You're going to tend to run hotter as your body is working to detoxify all of this stuff. But that heat is one of the things that disrupts your sleep. So it's not that we want to freeze ourselves because we don't want to suppress the body's functions, uh, but we want to get in an optimal range. And what that is, according to research, is between about 60 degrees Fahrenheit to 68 degrees Fahrenheit. Anything okay. cooler than that can interrupt your sleep, and definitely anything warmer than that will definitely cause some disruption to your sleep cycles because your body has a process called thermoregulation where there's a natural drop in your core body temperature at night to facilitate more rejuvenative sleep, so better recovery. So that's a second tip. I'll share one more with you guys. There's so many. You know, There's 21 strategies in my book, Sleep Smarter, but I want to share one more kind of low-hanging fruit with you guys. This one is this one is a little bit more you know what let me let me really stick with the low hanging fruit here because that okay, one's going to be okay. a little bit more of a trying thing because I don't want to deal with a different addiction which is to our technology when we're talking about this addiction. Sure. So sure. we'll save that one for another time, but one other thing that you can do which is really really great, man, is to do a, to get a little bit of body work done. You know, this would be a great time to treat yourself, do some massage therapy, or ask your loved one, you know, if you're in a relationship, give, give you a massage. Clinically proven to help you to sleep at night, getting some body work done. Because number one, and I don't know if this has ever happened with you or people listening, but you fall asleep on the massage table a lot of times, you know, because, time. yeah, and what happens is you get a secretion of oxytocin, which has been proven to basically blunt or protect your body from the effects of cortisol. And helps you to get, in, which induces better sleep, uh, the increase in endorphins that we talked about earlier, so many different things. But you can also do some body work for yourself. You know, some self massage. Also, in Sleep Smarter, I show there's acupressure in clinical studies showing how effective acupressure is for uh, increasing sleep quality. And in one of the studies, it was a double blind, placebo controlled study. That's the gold standard of studies. And they found that manipulation of this HT7 point, which is right outside of your wrist, so okay. the bottom of your wrist at the very outside corner next to that kind of thick bone on, that, on the very bottom of our wrist, um, there's a point there called HT7 in Chinese medicine. And manipulation of that spot in that study found that there was a greater secretion of melatonin metabolites that the, the person had in their system. So basically your body was producing and or processing melatonin better. In right. a natural Super format, powerful. not a pill format. Yeah. Simply by just putting pressure on a certain part of your body. You know, like we know so little about this amazing artwork we're walking around in. And this is a time to get reconnected to that. So you could do something like that. Everybody knows about the foam rolling now, you mm -hmm. know, but just doing some body work to help your body to essentially what's going to happen is that endorphin production and potentially serotonin production, which is another precursor for melatonin, it's just going to make you help you to set you up for a better night's sleep by doing a little bit of body work, maybe, you know, 30 minutes before bed and or getting a massage at some point during the day. So basically I can say, honey, to ensure my sobriety, you're going to need to give me a massage every night for the rest of my life. I, I, <laughs> I love 
how that just came out. Yes. Sean, before we go, tell listeners, where can we find more about you, your podcast website, and maybe some of your products you've been talking about? Absolutely. So uh, people can check me out. Same place they're listening to this show. Uh, you can find me on The Model Health Show. It's called The Model Health Show. And I'm very honored to say, as you mentioned, we've been uh, number one in the in the U.S. on the iTunes charts many, many times, uh, nominated for cool awards, stuff like that. So we're not playing around. You know, we're really breaking down a lot of the most pressing health issues, but also just having fun and making it making it um, consumable and entertaining content. But also you're going to walk away feeling like a genius and feeling like you've got strategies that you can employ to get the results that you want, you know, whether it's in your health, your relationships, your, your appearance, you know, you have obviously is a big part of our culture is, you know, we all want to look good. So, but how do you actually do this and not lose your mind? And so we focus on that kind of stuff. So you can check us out there on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you listen to this or on our, my home online, which is the model health show.com. So it's the model health show.com and they can listen there, watch the videos from the episodes and just connect with me. All my social media is there and they can pick up the book sleep smarter at your local bookstore, you know, Barnes and Noble, uh, your your local independent bookstore. If they happen to be sold out, some stores are sold out currently. Uh, just demand that they get it back in. Or you can also, demand. of course, <laughs> yes, look them in their eyes and look, look at me. I'm the captain now. Yes, look at you don't want me to relapse over this, do you? Order that damn <laughs> book right now. Today, like ordered yesterday. Yeah. And um, or of course you can order it online, Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, or you can find it at sleepsmarterbook.com, and I've got some bonuses there as well. And that's it, man. That's where people can find me and find the book, and I appreciate you so much for having me on. Sean, you just kick-started a lot of people's sobriety. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. And now let's hear from our second interviewee, Robert. Robert, how are you? I'm doing good. Thanks, Paul. Robert, great. How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm doing really good. Thanks for joining us. Let's get right into this. Robert, how long have you been sober? Three years and four months. Nice. What's the sobriety date? November uh, 17, 2012. November 17, 2012. Got sober right before the holidays and rolled right through it. Nice job. Robert, give listeners a little background about yourself. Maybe where you're from. Where do you live? Do you have a family? What do you like to do for fun? What do you do for work? Sure. Well, I'm uh, fortunate enough to be a stay-at-home dad for the last three years. Nice. I grew up in Canada, and my wife and I moved down We've been married about five years when we moved from Canada to University of California at Davis for her work. And as a teacher, uh, there's kids all over, so I trucked along with her, and we kind of set up camp in Davis and started working there. And then moved from uh, Davis up to Seattle, like I said, uh, three years ago. And we moved uh, shortly after I started getting sober in Davis. Okay. I've got uh, two kids, uh, Nolan, who's uh, five and a half in kindergarten and on the autism spectrum, and Maya is about to turn three next week, and uh, she's a wonderful, typically developing kid. Yeah, I love it. Talk to me about the zoo today before I get further into the other questions. Before we were talking in the interview, you mentioned you were at the zoo and joined it with your kids today, right? Definitely. As a stay-at-home dad, when they uh, ask for chaperones, you ask if it's okay to bring your other kiddo along and they're always happy to have uh, parents. So we got to head over to the Seattle Woodland Zoo and got to see some uh, the gorillas and uh, the jaguar was doing some good uh, facing and stalking of whatever happened to be in his cage. It was a great fun time. 
gosh, a stay-at-home entrepreneur, a stay-at-home mom, and a stay-at-home dad are deadly combinations when alcohol is involved. So you are a stay-at-home sober dad. I think that is so cool. I want to get into that later, but let's reference the podcast title, Recovery Elevator. Talk to me about your elevator. Was it a moment three years, four, or three, yeah, three years, four months ago that made you stop drinking, or what made you hit that button and get off? Tell me about your story. Yeah, the uh, the final stop was a, a crashing, screeching halt, but um, it had been a, a slow evolution of, or I guess de-evolution of uh, my drinking pattern. Um, in high school, I was uh, older looking, had some good scruffy bearded face and a trustworthy <laughs> smile that the uh, local vendor at the beer store heard my last name and went, oh, you're a good kid, you're going to be fine. So at 16, I was able to buy and so it was uh, two years prior to drinking age. So uh, for my friends and I, I was the I was the source for uh, drinks, and it was typically a binge style when we had somebody's uh, house to go to. It was, uh, as they say, on like Donkey Kong, and it was time to uh, get drunk. And from there, it it was always a struggle to find that happy medium of getting drunk but not uh, too drunk. So when it was time for um, my wife and I to go out, it was always best for me to suggest that I be the driver so that uh, she could be the drinker. And it let me sneak those drinks that got me beyond what would be a reasonable limit to drive, but enough that I could, it kind of gave me some reins to try and control. Well, when that when did that happy medium challenge present itself? Was it right when you started drinking? You had trouble kind of stopping at the happy medium? Yeah, always. I would always uh, race to get to that mark, drink quick, early off the start, and then overshoot the mark of just getting buzzed. I remember um, we were out um, at the campground uh, just outside of my small town where I grew up, and I was uh, two beers into the night and already puking in the trees ready to get back out and rally and um it was just always this struggle to try and uh, keep it between the lines struggle to keep it between the lines what we do is we always rally as alcoholics seriously if we puke we rally and even if we relapse we rally and get back on the sober wagon that's one thing we do we do everything 100 percent. i've learned that about alcoholics and i've lived it firsthand and so talk to me about your drinking habits, Robert. Would you, are you a nightly drinker? Did you drink just on the weekends? And did you ever try to put like rules in place? Like, look, I'm not drinking before 5 p.m. Yeah, I definitely always had some sort of rules or uh, kind of strategy of how I was going to keep my act together. When we were in college and just newly married, we didn't have a lot of money. So uh, getting drinks and, and going out with the guys was always kind of a, a weekend thing and rarely could I actually afford to get drunk. So it was always a, a financial balance of how I was going to borrow money from somebody to have those extra drinks or pre-drink before going out. So it was definitely a, um, a battle at the young age. And once I got to California, the isolation was what uh, really turned my alcoholism up. And because we didn't have very many uh, social friends there and my wife was working longer hours, uh, it freed up my time to cope with uh, what I felt like was being a bad teacher. I was in a difficult situation of the classroom and uh, made some poor choices in the classroom that I did not get tenure. And for the first time, that was a job where I did not get success. 
all the other jobs that I'd had, I've, I've been successful at. And this was one of the first where it was uh, unsuccessful. So in that time between when school would end and when my wife would get home, I'd uh, start having a few Irish coffees or a couple of cocktails, but at the uh, end of the day and have one ready or two ready for her when she came home. So it was, she didn't see how much I had started. And eventually that line of after school started bleeding into, I would go and uh, get some drinks at lunch or during my prep period and eventually started daily drinking at school with uh, whatever was in my coffee mug was not just coffee. Do you think the success didn't come with that job because of the alcohol? No, I think mostly it, it came because I was trying to control a situation instead of look at the situation of the classroom that I had. And I was trying to put my rules and my ideas in place instead of looking at what rules and ideas the situation needed. Oh, maybe some alcoholic behavior then. And talk to me about that, how you're trying to control the whole classroom and it didn't work out. Right. I was uh, trying to become uh, more authoritarian and more dictatorial in my plan and stomp my foot harder and yell louder than their reaction. And since I was the teacher, I was the one that was right. So absolutely that alcoholic thinking of I can control everything and become the actor on the stage and the uh, stage producer and the manager of the show just uh, didn't work. And the harder I tried to steer that ship, the worse it got. So uh, by the end of the year, there was just a lot of apathy of let's get through this. And it was that kind of apathy of getting through this that was, I wasn't putting my effort in. So it ended up just being a, a loose ship of lack of success for a lot of people by the end of the year. Sure. And that makes sense. A lot of times I've recognized my alcoholic behavior is in how I tried to successively control my drinking. I would just try the same plans with the same results. And I've also applied that in life as well. Like, look, this isn't working. And let me just try to think of like a, a near the same plan, but it, that's insanity. Like it doesn't work with drinking and it doesn't work in other areas of my life. And now that I'm sober, I can actually recognize the parallels in between the two where I really need to look at like, look, I'm the problem. I am it. And that's what I work on changing, not everybody else. And have you had a mind shift as well where you've looked at like, okay, I can only control myself and not everybody else? Absolutely. As I mentioned earlier, um, I've got a son who's on the autism spectrum, and there is uh, little control I have over what how autism impacts his day-to-day. -day. If uh, the tag in his shirt is extra itchy that day or he wants to wear mismatched socks that don't go with the shirt and have this nice, cute little outfit. Well, that's something that I have had to shift my mind to realize that there are some things that just don't matter, and there are things that do matter. I need to um, provide structure for him and support so that he can meet those expectations, know what those expectations are. So in my own life, it's looking at those same sorts of things of, what are the things that matter? What uh, things do I need that are going to support me in being successful in my day? Robert, I don't think I'm autistic, but when you said that, I cut the tags out of my shirt and I'm not wearing shoes and I look down and my socks are matching today. It's about 50% of the time. But I, I understand. it's crazy Like when you finally acceptance is the answer. You're like, okay, I, I can only control myself. And you mentioned something earlier about how you were just sick and tired. It was like this long, slow, drawn out process. 
I think that is why alcohol is so deadly. It's not like some of those other drugs like heroin or crack or you just came from the zoo. I'm going to reference a snake here like the black mama. It just strikes you and you're done. But alcohol is like the gardener snake that just keeps biting you just very slowly over time. What was that like and when did you realize it? Like, you Tell me about that. I was just so slow. Sure. That last year of drinking 2012, I knew that at the end of the uh, school year, we were going to be moving to Seattle. And for that summer and the beginning of the school year, I'd, I had it in my brain that I was going to quit and made consistent efforts to trying to quit drinking at school and less uh, drinking on the weekends during the day where I would make up some sort of scenario to uh, get out of the house to run a chore or errand and would uh, stop by the liquor store and get some. And I came to be very conniving and sneaky and withdrawn within my relationship and my support of the family that I just, I didn't like what I was doing, but the desire to get that buzz and numb the feeling of the difficulties that I was having in my relationship just was uh, too overwhelming for me to actually successfully stop. And on a, a Friday night, uh, right before the Thanksgiving break, I decided that I was going to uh, quit drinking, but I had vodka left that I'd, I thought, I, I can't just throw this out. It would be a waste of alcohol, mm -hmm. so I need to uh, finish this before I quit. So rather than be, uh, I, was, I don't know if smart's the right word, but rather than be uh, careful about it and, and wise, I um, just continued to drink it all and just got sloshy, messing drunk, and um, my wife and I had uh, some altercations and some words, and she ended up packing a bag and giving me a handful of cash and said, I don't care where you go, but it can't be here, and a taxi is on its way, so get out. And I stumbled out the front door and found the taxi. Taxi made it half a block before I started puking out the back door, and I had no clue where to go. I wasn't sure if I should go to a hotel, and I thought, well, if I go there, I'm just going to keep getting shit-faced because they have mini bars. So I'll go to some friends that were um, always kind and supportive in teaching, and I thought, if anybody can keep this or help me figure this out, they uh, can help me. So I went to their house and knocked on their door, and later they told me they were scared. They didn't know what was happening at 10.30, 11 o'clock at night. There I am, all liquored up and on their front stoop, just crying mess that uh, they took me in and, and helped me uh, get sober till the next morning. And throughout the night, they mentioned a couple of times, have you ever been to a meeting? Do you think you should go to a meeting? Do you know where the meetings are? And it was just like, I have no clue, none. So if you can help me figure that out, and we looked it up on the interweb and found a, a number. And uh, the next day around noon, I found a meeting and it was, like somebody had opened the door to this whole entire world where I'd heard stories and that were things that had not yet happened to me. So from that low bottom of just feeling like shit with the worst hangover I've ever had in the morning to seeing people that looked normal and were talking stories that I was living and worse and they were happy. I was like, well, something right going on here. And a couple of gentlemen would uh, come over and ask, are you okay? Is everything all right? And I just kept saying, no, nothing's right. So they kind of set up a little mini schedule of who's going to come and meet me at the local McDonald's that afternoon. So 
uh, three or four guys kept uh, circling around and talking with me in different, probably about 30 or 40 minutes. Each one took a little shift. And uh, by the end of the day, they, one of them had said, well, I'm going to be your temporary sponsor. So coming to this meeting and it was just like they, they took me kind of like you see off the football field where the big burly guys are taking the guy who just had the concussion off the field um, under the armpits and carrying them off. They figured out a plan for me to, to get better. Like I said, uh, yeah, it was the Thanksgiving weekend, so my parents were coming the next day. And I called them and said, I'm an alcoholic and I don't know what to do. And again, the support network that I didn't know was there, was there to help me. God, Robert, I have a tremendous amount of respect and admiration for your journey right there because with the value bombs, which I did in episode 52, you just knocked off like five of the 10 in one weekend. And for example, the acceptance part, you realize on that Friday on, on November 17th, you're like, look, I'm an alcoholic. Your addiction said to you in your own voice, he's like, look, Robert, all right, we're going to quit drinking, but we're going to get shit faced just one last time. Right. And so you've got the yep. acceptance and then you were ready to quit drinking when you showed up at your, at your friend's doorstep crying. That's, that's your higher power right there. Just saying, okay, you need help. And that's a conduit of time. And so you went to your friends. It took me like two years of being a dry drunk before I even went to my friends. So good on you. And you know, the conduit, those windows shut rapid and fast. So you took advantage of the window. And then the next day you told your parents you're an alcoholic. Again, that was like, it was like three years or four years after I like first made an attempt to quit drinking. So good on you. And I'm curious to hear about these relationships. Like how are things going with, with your wife at now and with your parents and things like that? With my parents, it's, um, it's still fairly consistent to what it was because they uh, still live in Canada and we're still stateside. So they don't, they didn't get to see a lot of the worst of the worst. With my wife, I think we're, we're better compared to where our relationship was. There's a lot more communication. For me, I was consistent liar and basically uh, would cover up any story or spin it so that it was mostly true, but not the entirety of its truth because I didn't want the full um, negative to be appear uh, to rear its head. So I would always have some sort of spin on things, whereas now it's so much easier to be upfront with everything. I don't have to keep track of things. And I think that helps our relationships a lot. Another uh, strategy that's really helped me in the last I'd probably say year and a half is to realize that the problems that are around me are not for me to solve. They're for me to understand and sympathize with what that situation is. I don't need to solve my wife's work and relationship problems at work. It's, I need to understand that I'm on her team to listen and understand them and see what she's trying to get out of them. Real quick, Robert, are you saying that sure. these life problems, these life events, they just happen and they're not happening to you? Right. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like, so uh, challenges that uh, we have are uh, picking schools for my son because his special needs program is very specific. There are certain schools that have that program and I'm not in control of where he goes as much as I would like to say, this is the best school that's for him that, and I can't control that. He gets into that school. I can advocate for him and and work hard, but I can't bring that frustration into 
the relationship between my wife and I. We can talk about our emotions about it, but I can't scream and yell at anybody to make it better, which is what my initial instinct is. Yeah, absolutely. Just being okay or accepting the outcome as it is. And that's powerful. Even that action of really doing nothing, just being okay with it is tremendous strides forward. And I work on that every day. And Robert, walk me through a day of your life, a a day in the shoes of Robert. What does your recovery portfolio consist of these days? Just take me through one day of it. Sure. Our life is pretty much a rainbow of days through the week. There are We have a a rainbow schedule, and each day gets a a unique color so that the routines that are on that day are kind of memorized for that day. So, for example, today is, um, let's see, blue day, and so I pick up Nolan from school and drop him off at the end of the day or pick him up at the end of the day from a different caretaker than at his school. Somebody else has picked him up and, and taken him to a new place. So for me, the filling the day is a matter of, looking at what kind of things need to happen and not necessarily controlling it, but trying to figure out what's the best strategy to uh, take care of the things that need to get taken care of. And although self-care is on the list, it's probably about fourth or fifth on the list of importance because I've realized that for too long, I've been at the top of the list and my when my needs don't get filled, I can tend to get uh, pouty and whiny. And none of the other things on the list get completed. Whereas if I can take the time to make sure that my kids are happy and my, as simple as my house is clean-ish, it's not going to be perfect because we have two kids that love to play um, with their toys. What better thing than to come home to toys that have been played with? Yeah, Robert, two questions. I love sure. your rainbow routine, the days. And, and, and uh, the question is, are, are dogs colorblind? They are, right? <laughs> yeah, I think they are. Ah, it's going to teach my poodle that rainbow routine because that's awesome. And second question is, would you say that your sobriety, how I know those uh, the priority thing and the other things went down the list, but sobriety is probably still pretty, pretty high up there, right? Absolutely. I've got a home group uh, Monday night that I've got a a service position there and the church liaison and it is a rare week that I will miss that meeting only unless my wife is out of town uh, do I miss that meeting our group just went through a a major transition in buildings we've been in the same building for uh, 56 years and it was a big transition for some of our more long-term sobriety people to find out that we were going to be moving and the, the past uh, church liaison person was not able to find a, a new place. So I put my fingers to the keyboard and found a new spot for us and arranged it with the help of a few other people to go and uh, make observations. But that commitment to help the other people in our group and know that we're not going to be missing anybody. We're moving three or four blocks down the street to a new church. And unfortunately, I wasn't there to be there for the first uh, meeting this week, my wife's out of town at the conference. So it's it's really important for me to be part of that group. And there's another dad that I found out um, who has a special needs son, and uh, he's part of my portfolio of people that I call. Some people have a single sponsor. I call it a sponsorship by committee. I've got three or four friends that understand the issues that I've got, and depending on whether it's special needs or alcohol or depression, I can. Uh, touch bases with each of them and just kind of 
uh, vent as to what's going on. And usually like the, the under, they, they give me some understanding and kind of retell a story of their own time when they were going through something and give me that value bomb of, oh, okay, some perspective. Yeah, I like the sponsorship by committee. And Robert, talk to me about some of the challenges that you're facing today. I think today it's it's kind of reintegrating into the social scene. Our kids are now at a point where going to other events with other adults is something that uh, we're looking to do. And uh, one of my friends is uh, putting together a crab boil or a crawfish boil. Um, he's from uh, down south, so I'm not exactly sure of the proper terminology, but he's putting together an event and he asked uh, last night, so how do you want to deal with this drinking thing? Like, there's going to be drinking there. And I was like, well, I, thank you for the heads up. That's what I needed to know that that's going to be there and I'll take it from there. That's all I need. So it's that looking forward to this event of, it's going to be fun to go and hang out with other people, but at the same time preparing for, I'm going to bring my uh, six pack of root beer and pop it into the ice chest and just be looking for those because I'll, I just want to have something in hand, but um, so that there aren't questions. The social integration. That's great. I've never really thought about that. And I get, I get asked that a lot, actually. Like, hey, are you, are you okay to be here in this establishment, in this bar, or at this party, at this function? And for a lot of people, that's a delicate line to walk. For me, it took about two months before I was able to not jump full heartily back into that. I kind of dipped the toe in slowly. But yeah, that's that's a great question and great, or, you know, great issue to bring up. And Robert, we have reached the rapid fire round. If you could answer these questions within 30 to 60 seconds, that'd be great. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Number one, Robert, what was your worst memory from drinking? I would think it's the... Uh the lack of memories. There were uh, several nights where I would go out in college with uh, my friends and we'd come back to the house or rather I would wake up back at the house and not realize how we got from the uh, bar back to uh, college. But even worse than that was when my wife uh, packed my bags and handed me the cash and said, I don't care where you go, but it won't be here. Wow. Next question. We've all heard of the aha moment. Have you ever had an oh shit moment when you realized you couldn't control the drinking? Uh, yeah, when the student said, you smell like my dad's beer. Oh, was this the, During was class college in student? The day. That was, uh, no, uh, a student that I taught, he was uh, seventh grade at the time. Oh, wow. I love it. Robert, next question. What's your plan in sobriety moving forward? The plan is to keep being uh, truthful and open about uh, what I'm thinking and what I'm feeling and sharing it with whether it's uh, my wife, my friends, and program members. The more that know uh, what's going on without oversharing just gives me more of a strength of network that people that know and understand what support I may need. Yeah, and Robert, next question. What's your favorite resource in recovery? I definitely think that getting involved in uh, my AA home group as uh, not necessarily the service position, but being a home group member where you attend the meetings just to find out what is going on and seeing people who are a, a complete group of strangers work together to make this meeting function. It, it was a real sign of people do care about what is going on for the greater good. I love it. And Robert, in regards to sobriety, what's the best advice you've ever received? One of the elderly gentleman that was at the, that initial meeting 
um, kind of pulled me aside one time and, and told me, you can make plans, you just don't get to plan the outcome. Oh, that's really good, actually. And what parting piece of guidance or advice can you give to somebody who's thinking about quitting drinking or somebody in early recovery? There's a poem called Welcome to Holland. And in short, the poem is um, about a person who gets prepared to make this trip to Italy. And they make all the guidebooks and plans and buy their uh, proper currency and make reservations for this great trip of a lifetime to Italy. And they get on the plane and they fly uh, with this great group of people and they arrive in Holland. And there's no connecting flights to Italy. And the stewardess says, welcome to Holland. And in short, welcome to sobriety. you got to make your life in Holland in sobriety to realize that things are different. You can still have a great time in Holland. You can still have a great time in sobriety. It's just a matter of, like you said earlier, that making that mind shift of get the guidebooks, get the advice, get a network of friends, start interacting in Holland and sobriety that it's just, it's a new life and it's still a good life. It's just different than Italy. And they got a lot of tulips in Holland. You kind of piggybacking off in number five. You can make the plan. Just don't be prepared to know what the outcome is. Welcome to Holland. Exactly. I love that. And Robert, before we depart, give listeners your own customized You Might Be an Alcoholic If line. Uh, you might be an alcoholic if you know that the spare tire wheel well lined with a towel makes an amazing space for a portable but not so mini bar. Oh, I love it. I love it. Robert, thank you so much for helping me stay sober and being part of my recovery network. Thanks for joining us. You betcha. Thanks. About three weeks ago, I had lunch with a work colleague. I told that person that I was practicing getting better at saying no. Yeah, just doing nothing. You just say no, and after that, you don't do it because there's nothing to do. You said no to it. We are all busy in life, and saying no is hard. We don't want to let people down. We often overflatter ourselves with the amount that we think we can put on our plate and successfully juggle all the balls in the air. Because right now in my life, if I add something else on my plate, something else has to go. It might be a conversation with my mom, a walk with my dog, or even an AA meeting. But no joke, just how life is beautiful and grandiose as it is, 20 minutes later I'm walking back to work and I get a call from somebody asking to volunteer my services for a run for recovery. During the phone call, I was thinking of a nice way to say no, and then I asked, said, hey, well, what's the run for? They said, well, it's a third annual run for recovery here in Bozeman. Right off the bat, without any hesitation, yes. The answer is yes, I'm in, full bore, 100% count me in. My work colleague who was walking with me gave me this face while I was on the phone, like, man, we just talked about 30 minutes, so you're gonna say no to everything. But for that event, I gotta say yes. And actually, I'm hoping you guys say yes, too, because due to technology, we can all do this virtual run. So you're going to go to aalrm.org, or you can go to recoveryelevator.com, find this in the show notes, and you can register for this virtual run. Use the promo code RECOVERYELEVATOR to get on Team RE. Send us photos of you running the run. In Cafe RE, we've got about 15 of us who have signed up. We've all got pre-made shirts. And several of those members are even going to come to Bozeman. So if you'd like to come to Bozeman and actually run this race on May 21st, I think it starts at 9.30 in the morning. I'm going to be sharing part of my story. I'm actually emceeing the whole event. We're going to have a little meetup afterward as well. Have coffee, 
maybe play some kickball in a park. Who knows? Who cares? It doesn't really matter. It's going to be a great time when you get a bunch of sober people together after a 5K or a 10K. Cannot wait for it. So valuable lesson learned. I do still need to say no to a lot of things. But if it's recovery related, there really is no cap. That's a hell yes on that one. Recovery elevator. We took the elevator down. We got to take the stairs back up. We can do this.